Oh, you know, actually, something funny happened to me this week. So I was, uh, I was out. What? That's the wrong one. This is my coffee. Ben, come on here for a sec. <laughs> was, I was out and about, and I did something that embarrassed myself. Now, I always kind of do something that embarrassed myself. But over the course, you know, I was talking, and I was very animated. You know, when I get with certain people, I get very animated. And for some reason, when I was talking, I just kind of like this. <laughs> and I looked, and I went, oh, my goodness, I am so sorry, Ben. I... I I am truly sorry. I uh, what happened? <laughs> Thank you. You may sit down. <laughs> That's right. That's just baptism part too. <laughs> now, if I would have had tea in my cup, what would I have spilled? Tea, right? If I would have had coffee in my cup, what would I have spilled? Coffee, right? I'd have had grape juice in my cup. We would all we would <laughs> then we would have had problems. Yeah. <laughs> What's my point? Whatever I would have had in the cup, right, would have spilled once I bumped. And that's something that I want us to think about today. Because if coffee was in my cup, I would have spilled coffee. It happened to be nothing but cold water, thankfully. But uh, whatever is in your cup, that's what you're going to spill. And looking from the outside, looking from the outside, nobody can tell what this contains, right? When I first picked this up, you probably thought it was water in it because I wouldn't, you know, spill something nasty on somebody, although I did this week, you know. But, But I mean, you know, but looking at this, nobody can tell what is inside our cup. Nobody can tell if what is inside our cup is filled with joy and peace and patience and kindness. The Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, self-control, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, all those, all those fruits we're going to talk about. Or the anti-fruits. Maybe it's full of anger and bitterness irritation, mean-spiritedness, impatience, judgment, criticism. I have found that it's often when life bumps you a little bit, you find out what's really in your cup. That's part of why I encourage you to come to church every Sunday because you know what? Something may not ha- be happening in your life now, but you're building the fruits of the Spirit as you come and receive the Word, as you come and you worship, as you come and retune your thoughts to God. You're building those fruits of the Spirit so that when this happens, joy and peace and faithfulness can come out. When you don't have that, that's when the anger, the anxiety, the criticalness, the divisiveness violence, murderous hatred can come out because it's all stored in here. And here's the thing, looking at all of you right now, I don't know what's inside your cup. I don't know until life bumps you a little bit. And then what's on the inside starts coming outside. Amen? So today, that's kind of where we're going. In fact, let's put up the slide now of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and verse 23 says here in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit 
as opposed to the fruit of the world or the fruit of natural man or the, the, the fruit of, of whatever else besides the Spirit there is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Apostle Paul says, against such things there is no law. Why? Because of the fruits of the Spirit are who God is. If somebody asks you, who is God? What is he like? Right there, those nine things. God is love, God is joy, God is peace, God is patience, God is kindness, goodness, faithfulness. God is these things. He is these things. This is how God treats us. When somebody's like, oh, God's mean, or, or God's cruel, or God's evil, or God's this, and I say, no, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. God is one of these things, all right? If something like that is happening, God may be using it for the purpose, but the purpose is these things, right? So we need to get back to a very good definition of who God is and how he treats us so that we know this is his goal in what he wants to do within us. So that when you experience that bump, it can be a little bump. Somebody just irritated you. Somebody got mouthy and wordsy. You wanted to plaster them up on the wall. Or a big bump. Somebody truly humiliated or insulted you. That's when we find out what the fruits of our lives truly are. And that's where we're going this spring. How to get these birthed in us. And by the way, I'll give you a little hint. It's not based on what we do. It's based on what God has already done in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. <coughs> the, uh, <coughs> so we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit, but you can't really talk about the fruits of the Spirit until you go to what Jesus said about the fruits of the Spirit. And Jesus' commentary on the fruits of the Spirit is found in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, where he outlines exactly how we can bear spiritual fruit. Beginning in verse 1, read along with me. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. But you don't have to read it out loud. But that was cool. I mean, that was, <laughs> you know what? On second thought, we're going to read it out loud together. Let's read it out loud. Here we go. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. By the way, oh, Read this one. Some of you have different versions. You know, that's the only reason I put that up there. I hate putting scripture up there because I feel like it, it, it teaches people not to bring their Bible to church. And I want you to have a Bible. I want you to bring it to church. But I do see that to bring us all together on the same words, this is a good tool. So let's start over again and let's all read what's up here. First of all, I just had to put that out there because that's my little thing. Anyway, 15 chapter 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Stop there. He prunes. We'll get to that in a moment. So that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Who spoke it? Jesus. All right. God. Jesus, God, same thing. Uh, verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm counting the number of remains here. Uh, I am the vine. You are the branches. So he says, I am the vine. My father is the gardener. I am the vine. You are the branches. You get it here? Jesus is the trunk of the vine. The father is the gardener going and making sure the vine is healthy, cutting, pruning, everything else. What are we? The branches that are growing off the vine. <clears throat> if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What is Jesus saying? There is no real living apart from him. There is no real life apart from God. No real life. You know what happens if you clip a branch off of a vine or maybe even, even more visibly like a rose? If you clip a branch off a rose, you know what happens immediately? It doesn't, be, it doesn't die, right? It will continue to bloom for a little bit. The residual life is in there. It will continue to bloom for a little bit, but ultimately it will crumble away and wither up and die. And that is essentially what Jesus is saying. My father's the gardener. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remove yourself from my vine, there's nothing to keep you alive. It's a logical principle here. He says, Jesus is the vine. The people are the branches. And so what is Jesus' secondary point is this? That we bear fruit when we remain in Christ. No less than eight times Jesus uses the word remain in this passage. Remain connected to the vine. Remain in the Father. Remain in Jesus. Let me remain in you. If you do not remain in me, there's no life. If you do not remain in me, you get cut off and thrown away. If you're not, there's something about this remaining in Jesus that produces the fruit. Now here's the point. The branches, us, do not work for the fruit. Some of you under the sound of my voice may be saying, oh yeah, I need to be a little more loving. Here's some things I can do to be more loving. Oh yeah, I need to be more peaceful. Oh yeah, I need to be more goodness. Oh, I should really try to work on my gentleness. Here's the thing, you're missing the whole point if that's what you get out of this. That's not what God is saying. The branches don't work for the fruit. They just remain connected to Jesus. They remain connected to God. And over the course of their lives, they will bear these fruits. Isn't that good news? Doesn't that take some of the pressure off? So that's why I don't want to sit here and teach ethics every Sunday. I just want to teach relationship with Jesus. Because when you have relationship with Jesus, it's these fruits of the Spirit that God will do in us because we are a connected branch. Say, I am a connected branch. Now, what does it mean to remain in Christ? Jesus keeps saying, remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. 
what does remain mean? It means don't quit. Don't quit. No matter what it takes, don't quit. Don't ever quit. You're discouraged, don't quit. You're angry, don't quit. You're irritated, don't quit. You're depressed, don't quit. You're anxious, don't quit. You have fear, you don't quit. You're mad, you don't quit. You feel like the whole world has the weight of the world on your shoulders. You don't quit. You just stubbornly never quit. That's how you remain. If you remain in Jesus and you don't quit, you will see these fruits happen in your lives. It's when people quit that you see these fruits just sucked away by a whirlwind of the world. When we remain in Jesus, it's simply saying we won't quit. I was in a, a group of pastors. Pastor, pastors have all these groups. And I don't like to be a part of all of them because you have to go there, you have to small talk for an hour, you have to, you know, it just takes way too much time. They're the most inefficient things when you just sit down in these groups. We can edit that off the tape, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but, but, I, but I go to these groups. I went to this group. And it's a bunch of pastors who are my age, 45 and under. And there was this one guy who was like, you know what? I'm discouraged. I'm struggling. You know, the church is doing fine, but I just don't like the people there. They're all cranky and scratchy. And nah, nah, nah. He said, I'm just, I've, I'm, I've had it. I've had enough of it. I don't want to spend, thinking of spending the rest of my life of this is like thinking of torture, you know? And he was just being really honest and, and, you know, so we're kind of thinking, like, he's going to give his resignation any minute here now, you know? There's going to be a church available. And all of a sudden, he, he looks up, he says, but I just, I don't want to be a failure in my wife's eyes. And so I'm in agony in a place I don't want to be. And yet if I leave, I don't want to see that look in her eyes. I don't want to see my boys look at me and say, my dad couldn't hack it, he failed. Now our cadre leader, he's in his mid-70s and he's been a pastor for many years. So we're all quiet because <laughs> we can all feel, of course not me, but I mean everybody else, you know. We can all feel what this guy's saying. So we all, it was kind of funny, we all at the same time kind of went, oop, like what are you going to say to that, oh wise sage? He just looked at me and said, oh, this is real easy. Don't quit. You fail when you quit. That's when you fail. You fail when you quit. God doesn't see you as a failure that you have these feelings. God doesn't see you as a failure that you struggle with discouragement. God doesn't see you as a failure that you have fear and anxiety and you don't want people to think you blew it. God doesn't see, none of those are what God sees as failure. The only time God sees you as a failure is when you quit. When you quit, what you're basically saying is, God, it's so bad, I don't even think you can do anything in this situation. And that's why you quit. He just looked at me and said, don't quit. The only failure in God's eyes is when you quit. Keep on going and going and going and going, and no matter what the world says around you, don't quit. You only become a dead branch when you quit. Because when you quit, you sever yourself off the vine. And then, yeah, I mean, you'll live for a few years. You make it to 80, 90. Probably in this generation, some of you may even peak to 100. But there's just no life anymore. Don't quit. Don't quit. 
whatever you're facing right now, don't quit. Remain in Christ. And over time, ultimately, you will see the fruit of the Spirit birthed in you. Amen? Amen. So, if, if God's goal is to produce fruit in our lives, what is the process of that producing fruit? Well, for those of you who have any experience in gardening or farming, you'll know that it is a four-step process. We're going to go through that real quick to see how it relates to God producing fruit in our lives. And the first step is this plowing. Plowing, right? Whenever you're going to go plant a garden, you can't just start throwing seed wherever. You've got to break up the ground because the ground is hard and it's hardened. And if you put the seed on it, it's probably not going to get low enough and it's probably not going to spring life. You've got to plow the land. And sometimes when God wants to do something in us, he has to plow the unbrokenness of our heart. He's got to plow the hardness of heart. In Hosea chapter 10, Verse 12, Hosea says, Hosea is like a, a, a little-known prophet right in the middle of the Bible. He married a prostitute. And when he married her, God said, oh, by the way, she is going to cheat on you over and over and over again. How many of you, if you were Hosea, you would be like, God, that's a call I want. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> I want to be the prophet where I marry a woman and she cheats on me over and over again. But that's what Hosea does. He marries this woman and she cheats on him over and over and over again. Finally, he goes to her and he finds her. And she's now a prostitute. And he pays for time to be with her. He pays her pimp off time to be with her. And when he's with her, she melts in his arms that he had been faithful when she had been so unfaithful. You may say, why did that story make it into the Bible? What's its point? Because that's what God's saying to us. He will be faithful even when we have not been faithful. And out of him bringing that wife, his wife's name was Gomer, I know. Probably not the most attractive name for a woman in our day and age, but brings Gomer back into his home. And as he begins to teach Gomer the ways of God, this is what he says to her. But as he says it to her, he's really saying it to all of us. In Hosea 10, verse 12, he says, Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. See, Gomer, as, 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 as I have shown you unfailing love, reap the fruit of that. And then he says, And break up your unplowed ground. See, there's hardness of heart, anxiety, fear, depression, anger, hatred mean-spiritedness, criticalness, judgmentalist, scratchiness. In all of us, God wants to break that up. And here is, here is a, 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 a real point. Before God uses us, he breaks us. Before God grows us, he breaks us. Just like a plow breaks up the the unplowed ground god will take the plow of the holy spirit and break the hardness of heart inside our hearts amen amen so we're like amen number two planting god plants seeds within the fertile soil uh in the, in the gospel jesus tells a parable of a farmer who throws seed and that day they they threw seed now 
Jesus augments the story to talk about a farmer who, who doesn't throw seed very wisely. As he's throwing his seed, some of the seed falls on the path, the walking path in between the rows of, of crops where there are, you know, a walking path there. And, and then, some, you know, like in our day, they had some thorny bushes there too. And, and, and of course, near the end, there was some rocky ground where, and so Jesus says as he's throwing the seed, the first seed fell among the path. And the moment it fell among the path, the birds came down, swooped and ate it. And what Jesus said is that's like the devil. The moment somebody hears the truth of God, the moment somebody hears the word of God, they can't do anything with it because instantly the devil comes and steals it. I remember when I was in college, uh, college was a neat time for me because I had just become a Christian like a year earlier. So I was still in that, I don't care what anybody thinks phase, and I'm just gonna tell them the gospel. And so I had a, a study partner who was from Pakistan. And he was raised Muslim, but when he came to the United States, he became an atheist. I don't, I don't believe in anything. So I, I'd be telling him, I'd be talking to him about creation and God and you know, evolution, how it doesn't work because you know, the heart and the blood vessels and the veins all have to appear at once in order for life to happen. You know? And, I, and I, I'm, I mean, I thought I was doing great. And almost every time the guy would just be broke in all his arguments. I could see for a moment in his face the desire to want to believe, the desire to believe and receive Christ. And then he go, no, 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 I, I'm sorry. I just, I just can't believe that. Science has disproved religion, and I just can't go there. And I look back on that, and I saw it in his eyes, and I could just, I, I mean, I wish you could see what I saw. I just saw it in his eyes. It was like the, pa- the, the seed landed, and the enemy just came and took it. And the way he would just like kind of jerk away, like, get away from me. I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to hear anymore. Don't talk to me anymore. And I'd follow him. If it's true, why don't you want me to talk to you? Get away from me, Naki. Get away from me. You know what I mean? It was just like, <laughs> I was pretty mean, actually. I don't think that was the fruit of the spirit. I was just playing with the kid. But, you know, but I could, but there's, there's something in there where the enemy just wants to come and snatch away that seed. The next, the next ground was the rocky ground. It's people who, re- who receive the gospel, receive God, and for about a month or two, they're really into it. And all of a sudden, they're gone. I give them a call. Hey, I haven't seen you in church. I haven't you know, just seen, I don't know, just where are you at? How you doing? Oh, yeah, you know, I think I just got, emo- I think I just got emotional that day. I, I, don't, I don't know if I really believe all this. Oh, okay. That's the seed. Gets into like real shallow ground, but can take no root. Other seeds actually fall and begin to bloom. You know, these are people where, you know, they receive Christ usually when they're younger and they're all full ideology and all that kind of stuff. But then as they get older, the worries of life start to come. Oh my goodness. I, oh, oh man, I can't go to church. I can't give God priority in my life. I have to work. And and they're worried about intimacy. Oh my goodness, I'm I'm lonely. I'm scared. I want to have sex. Oh, I can't worry about God. I got to go find a woman or I got to go find a man, you know. And all the worries of life begin to just choke out the seed where all of a sudden they're like a branch that's been twisted and twisted and twisted and they're just choked from the life of God. And of course the fourth one is what? It's the plowed soil. The seed falls in the plowed soil. The plowed soil is prepared and the plowed soil is protected. Right? They had ways of protecting it back then. We have ways of protecting it now. How do we protect our soil? We make what? A... Scarecrow, right? A scarecrow. (laughs) 
So uh, I'm sure modern farms have modern chemicals that take care of all that. But that you know that it's it's the good soil is plowed, prepared, and protected. Number three, we get to pruning. This is the seed fell in the good soil. It's now starting to sprout the plant, and it's starting to sprout the plant in our heart. And all of a sudden, God does something called pruning. Now pruning when we think of pruning many of us think you know there's dead branches that are growing off and so we want to cut off the dead branches why would you cut off the dead branches what's the big deal what happens on a dead branch where you don't want it connected to the to the vine anymore anybody dead branches attract what insects and bugs that's the number one reason why they do that. So they got to cut that dead branch off so that the insects and bugs don't infect the healthy vine. However, I planted a lemon tree. And I was talking to Tim. Tim's got a degree in agricultural, agricultural things. And so I always ask him about, you know, growing tips. And I said, you know, Tim, I've had this lemon tree in my backyard for five years. And last year I got three lemons off it. I said, I mean, Carmen and David, they can't stop. They have 500 lemons on their tree. I have three. What do you do? He's like, you have to prune it. I said, I have pruned it. He's like, when I say prune it, you got to cut off some of the good branches. See, now I wasn't doing that. All the branches that were dead, I cut them off. But I'm like, the good ones? He goes, oh, yeah. You got to cut off some of the good branches in order to get more fruit. So I'm like, I'm feeling like I'm hurting it, you know, but I got my little pruner. I'm like, I'm sorry, lemon tree. <laughs> I feel like I'm, you know, clipping off a finger or something, you know. And, and sure enough, this year, I've got like 25 lemons on my tree. Next year, I'm going to have 50. The year after that, 100, you know. You see where I'm going with this. God prunes us not to hurt us, but to help us. And here's the thing we have to remember when we walk with God. Sometimes he cuts out the good along with the bad. Sometimes he cuts out something that's alive in us so that we don't settle for the good, but we get the best. So that we don't have three lemons, but we have a tree full of lemons. And with a tree full of lemons, you can make a whole lot of lemonade. <laughs> that was good. So how does God prune us? First thing, he uses the Bible. Number one, he uses the Bible. I had a friend uh, in high school. He had witnessed a demonic possession. It was a big deal. Really freaked him out. He had witnessed a demonic possession and the priest or the pastor did an exorcism and, and drove the evil spirit out of the person. And so when I met him, actually I met him in college, freshman in college, so I was close to high school. Uh, when I met him, he confided to me that he had a hard time sleeping because the memory of this event had psychologically freaked him out. He was really scarred by it. And so I, we were talking about this and talking about this, and, and he's like, what do you what do, you do in, in situations like that? And I said, well, uh, my youth pastor taught me a Bible verse, and whenever I say it, I just seem, I just seem to not be afraid of things. He's like, well, what is it? And I said, it's 1 John 4, chapter 4. Where John says, greater is he who is within me than that which is in the world. And I said, now, 
the devil and the demons and all those dark angels, they're all in the world, but God is in here. And if God is in here, he is greater than anything out there that might try to scare you. Came back a week later, he said, Tom, I can't believe it. I have never slept as good since that event happened. What was that? That was the Bible pruning fear out of his life by giving him a truth from God that he could stand on and it was pruning out the fear and anxiety. Number one, God will use the Bible to prune us. Number two, he uses a spouse. All the wives in here say amen. (laughs) All the husbands in here say amen. (laughs) This is why who you marry is so important. Because God, for better or for worse, God or the world, is going to use your spouse to prune you and make you more either like Jesus if they're leading you to Jesus or like the world if they're leading you to the world. I, I have those times where I come home and I'm angry and I'm, I'm just, and I'm just in, a, in a rough and my wife is all nice and calm. Tom, have you thought about this? Tom, you know, and she'll keep talking and I'll be like, disappear, please, right now. You know, and I get all mad. I'll go off. I'll go into the bedroom. And I'm just, she can tell, I'm just stewing on something. So she'll come in about five minutes later. You all right? Yeah. I thought about it. And you're right. And I can just feel it every time God uses my wife, you know. Yeah, you're right, you know. It's like pruning. It's cutting off a living branch. You know, it's, ah! But sometimes it's all we can do. Billy Graham has an even better story. When Billy Graham first went to Africa, he held a crusade. And, and uh, one of the women was walking, the, and she went to the crusade. She was the wife of a successful banker. And in Africa, bankers carry keys to the vaults and the money and all that. And each banker has their special key. They're supposed to guard it with their life. They take it home with them. They go to the bank with them. You know, they all have keys. So this wife goes to the Billy Graham crusade, and of course the Billy Graham crusade is all about conversions. So she converts to Christianity, and she comes home and she tells her husband, uh, I have just accepted Jesus as my God, as my Lord and Savior. Do you, will you accept him too? And the husband gets furious. No, I'm not going to accept this Jesus. I don't, I don't even know who this is or, or why these people are bringing it here. We have our gods. He was very upset. Well, she wouldn't budge. She remained a Christian. And over the next few months, he got angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier. And he's flaunting his gods in her face. And they're having this big tug of war because he wants the tribal gods over, the, over Jesus. In Africa, if your wife causes you to lose your job, <laughs> you can kill her. So it's a justifiable homicide in Africa. So he devises this plan that he is going to conveniently lose the bank key and in a fit of rage, murder his wife. This is how bad that things had gotten in terms of his animosity toward her becoming a Christian. So he takes the key and on his way to work, he is uh, is on a bridge over a river, he takes the key, he drops it in the river. When he comes home, there'll be no key there. And in a fit of rage, he'll murder his wife and then tell the local authorities what happened and he'll be exonerated. 
So he drops the key into the river, he goes to work, and then when he comes home, uh, he's on his way home. What he didn't realize is in the meantime, his wife was saying, you know what? We have had uh, millet and all this stuff for so I'm going to go and I'm going to catch a fish and we're going to have a fish fry tonight. So she goes and she casts her pole into the river and catches a fish. As she, this is a true story, by the way. As she's cleaning the fish, she goes, oh my goodness, the bank key is inside of the fish. Now tell me, what are the odds of her catching the exact fish that swallowed that key? All right, no, this is, th- what do we call this? This is a God thing, right? This is God. So when he comes home, he's getting ready. He's got a machete. In him. He's getting ready to kill her. And she goes, hey, look what I found. Your key was in this fish. Now he knew what happened. And, and of course, he, he became a part of the Billy Graham evangelistic crusade. He says, in that moment, I just lost all power in my knees. I went down to the ground. I put my head to the ground. I was sobbing. The machete just bounced on there. My wife, kind of in a moment, she began to realize what was going happening. And he said, right there, I just asked Jesus to forgive me, to come into my heart, and to save me, because now I knew he was the one true God. Your, God can use your wife to prune you. God can use your husband to prune you. Uh, number three, God can use adverse circumstances. Uh, not perhaps death. Uh, if you die, there's uh, no coming back from that. And other people's death is not God's plan. But trials, illness, marriage troubles, debt, depression, all these kinds of things that we face, these adverse circumstances, God can use them to prune the bad things and the good things so that we get the best things. He'll use Satan and the demons. And then finally, number five, sometimes God will just leave you alone. Some of you may say, man, I love it when God does that. No, next week's sermon, we're going to talk about this. You do not want God to leave you alone. So those are five ways in which God may prove us. The Bible, a spouse, adverse circumstances, the enemy, and our own self-implosion. Number four, the final process in the process of producing fruit is picking, picking it. Eventually you have to pick it or else it's just gonna rot and die on the vine. And here's the thing, who is to enjoy the fruit of our lives? Is it us? Kinda. But do the branches enjoy the fruit or do, does the person picking enjoy the fruit? Sure, the branches enjoy the fruit and that they're bearing fruit and they're a healthy branch. But often we bear fruit in our lives so that God can use us to bless others. If I'm all by myself and I experience love, I mean, that's fine, but it's a lonely love. If I'm all by myself and I experience another fruit of the Spirit called joy, well, that's nice and I'm sure that's good. And I'd rather have joy than, than fear. But ultimately, God wants to produce fruit in our lives, not just so that we enjoy it, but so that others can pick from it and enjoy its fruit. The branch doesn't enjoy the fruit. The picker enjoys the fruit. And the picker is other people, and sometimes the picker is God himself. A couple of things here to take home, and then I'll send you home. First of all, if God uses you to prune somebody, prune very carefully prune very carefully. Uh, I learned here that there's a 
there's a huge grape business down here in Bakersfield. In fact, a lot of the grapes that people think they're getting from Napa Valley are actually grown here in Bakersfield. Shh, don't tell everybody. It might take down the price. But I learned that there's actually a trade called a pruner. It takes about two to three years to learn how to do it, and then you become a certified pruner, and they prune all of the grapevines down here in Bakersfield. Now, if it takes two to three years to learn how to prune a vine that has no emotions and can't speak or talk, how much more careful should we be with a human being that has a mind and a heart and emotions and feelings and a soul? If God calls you to prune, prune carefully. There is a story uh, once in the University of Washington a man was struggling with lust and Playboy magazines, pornography. So he went to a Christian man. He said, I'm struggling with this. What should I do? And so the Christian man opened the Bible and says, well, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, to gouge it out. And that's what the man did. And it's a true story. He went home and he gouged his eye out. You know what that is? That is terrible pruning. The guy should have said, look, I'm coming over. Give me your magazines and don't, you know, and, and let me know if you buy any more. We're just going to have a nice bonfire here. Uh, but you see what I'm saying? When you're going to prune, prune carefully. Make sure you, you're, 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 you're qualified, ready to do it. Don't just shoot from the hip. Number two, pray confidently. Confidence in prayer grows in proportion to the fruit. Uh, Pastor Wayne had called me over he said I want you to pray for my heart and my kidneys and so I said all right that's fine so I went over there and I'm trying to pray for his heart and kidneys I'm like you know what Pastor Wayne as I pray for this I feel like confused like no leading no joy there's nothing leaping in me like I am to pray for your heart and kidneys I don't think they're the problem well the doctors say they're the problem and I'm all these medicines for the problem so can you pray for this problem because this is the problem and I said Wayne I said I think your problems are all in your head and he, and he looked at me like, excuse me? I could tell. I mean, 74 years old, I saw a little bit of a, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, did I just insult a man trained on the M16 who spent two years in combat in Vietnam? You know, I'm like, what? I kind of stepped back for a moment. Like, it just kind of came out. And I said, I'm sorry. I'll pray for your heart and kidneys, you know. So I did. On my way home, I'm like, ah, I don't know what that was, Lord. I, I, and I apologized to him profusely. He calls me up two or three weeks later. You are never going to believe it. I go away. He goes, the problem was in my head. I said, what? You know? He said, it was. The doctor says that I've still got 40% of my heart. I've got 35% of my kidneys. I can live fine with that. I'm waiting for the punchline. He goes, oh, I have a neurological disease. It is in my head. He has Parkinson's. Undiagnosed. They didn't know, you know what he had. He has Parkinson's. He started medicine on it. In fact, I hope we see him in the next few weeks because after a few weeks of the medicines, he, you know, he's really he was embarrassed of the shaking, so it takes that away. It was in my head. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? That's, there's something in confident prayer that just, it, it just bursts forth that fruit of the Spirit. And the longer we remain in Christ, the more confident our prayers become. Number three, produce genuinely. Uh, fruit cannot be faked. 
eventually who we are will be detected. And number four, persevere faithfully. Listen to me. God is never closer to you than when you're being pruned. God is never closer to you than when you are being pruned. For if you are being pruned, God's desire is not to hurt you, but to help you. We may not see that in a moment, and it may not feel like that in a moment. And some of you, you may be under like a 10-year pruning process. But God's pruning you because your best days are ahead of you. So I ask you, what's in your cup? What's in your cup? Life bumps you. What's going to come out? If it's not the fruits of the Spirit, God's going to do some pruning to get you there. And I promise you, eventually at some point, life is going to bump you good. It's going to bump you so hard that one day it may even look like that. (laughs) One day it may look like that. And my prayer for you is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, like it's candy in your pocket, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. That's the blessing of God in you. That's the blessing of going from the good life to your best life. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd just like to make a very simple invitation. And the invitation is this. To come out of the hard-heartedness, the criticalness, the judgmentalness, the angriness, the depression, the anxiety, the fear, the pride. This morning... It all begins with getting plowed. Planting, pruning, and picking, that all comes, but only after we're plowed. So this morning, if you'd say, you know what, Tom, I want to commit to letting God plow me a little bit. There's areas of my life that are hardened. There's areas of my heart that are hardened, and I need the Holy Spirit to plow into that hardened ground so that I may receive the seed that will bear the fruits of love, joy, peace, kindness. If you're like, okay, Tom, that's me. I surrender. I want to be plowed. Just go ahead and raise your hand right now. I want to be plowed. I want to be plowed. Amen. I want to be plowed. So many of you. Let's just pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, plow me. Plow the hardness of my heart. Plow the anxiety. Plow the fear. Plow the mean-spiritedness. Plow the criticism. Plow the doubts. Plow the unbelief. Plow it all that I may receive the seed you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen.